Episode 18 of the podcast is with Paul Bauer. Paul is a physical performance coach at Huddersfield Town. He's a previous attendee at one of our network meetings, which just shows the power in networking. That's where we met him and we found out exactly what he does at Huddersfield and what a great job he does. He talks about loads of real valuable information in this episode, including corridor coaching, how making mistakes is actually good. And also he's got some real key advice and and advice that I haven't really heard people talk about before on building relationships with coaches. He gives um, real important information on how he did it and the mistakes he made across the years. If you haven't done us, um, done so already, our network meeting is now a few days away. It's on Friday, twenty second of um, February at Notts County. We've got Johnny Wilson presenting. There are a few tickets left, and obviously, depending on when you listen to this, um, will depend on whether you can still get tickets or not. But there's a, now a link on our website. If you go on footballfitfed.com and click the um, network meeting and event tab at the top that'll take you through to eventbrite and you can get your ticket there it's free of charge and it's a great chance to come and meet loads of coaches like i said paul was a previous attendee at the meeting we've had loads of top coaches at these meetings and it's a really good chance for you to develop relationships with coaches and also please subscribe to this podcast share it with friends family colleagues anyone who you may think will benefit from the information And I know it takes a bit of time out of your day to go and do it, but please go over to iTunes and leave us a review. We've got some top reviews on there now, and I just want to try and build them because it does help to boost the podcast up and make sure that we can keep bringing these top guests to you. So please do us a favor, head over to iTunes, take two minutes, leave us a five-star review, and just a comment on what the best show was or the, the show that you've taken the most information from so far or who the um, the top guests you've enjoyed listening to were. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Paul. It was great chatting to him. I could, I could speak to Paul all day, to be honest. He's one of these people that you can just talk to all day and he's got loads of uh, top information. So I hope you take loads from it. Get your pen and paper ready because I took loads of notes. Enjoy the episode with Paul. ...of the Football Fitness Federation podcast. Today we're joined by Paul Bauer. Paul is a physical performance coach at Huddersfield Town. Paul, how are you doing? I'm good, mate. How are you? I'm good, thanks. That's taken us far too long to uh, put our heads together and get the technology working, but we are on, finally. Good, good. So just fill us in, Paul, kick us off and go into your background and your previous experiences. All my background, so it dates all the way back to 2005 when I started uh, a BSc at John Moores um, in Sport and Exercise Science, graduated in 2008. Um, during that time I did a couple of work experience placements at Preston North End and Sales Sharks and then after that straight into a Masters um, of Research and then graduated from that in 2009 kind of had a bit of an interim period in between getting a a job and working out what I wanted to do so after that uh, I got an internship at Yorkshire Cricket Club kind of strength and conditioning intern that was 2011-2012 and then progressed into my full time into a full time paid job at Barnsley Football Club as kind of lead academy sports scientist. Then by default got budged up to head of academy sports science and medicine and left uh, Barnsley in two thousand and oh god sixteen I think it was August two thousand and sixteen. During that time, kind of at the end of my Barnsley kind of time and then to to now kind of work for England for the with the under 16s the men's team 
um, and the women's under-20s for a two-year period. Did a little bit of consultancy work for a company called Benchmark 54 and then took a job at Huddersfield in the summer of 2017. And kind of that's that's where I am now. So been around the block a little bit, but, you know, kind of got a, a good number of years behind me. And I'd say I'm probably in my eighth season of professional sport. So and dating all the way back to 2005 when I started my degree. So I've still got plenty plenty of time to go, but yeah, been around for a while now. So one thing I wanted to kick us off with, Paul, is is your throughout your roles there and, and through the different sports, you'd have obviously had to build relationships, and it's a key theme that's gone through a lot of the podcasts, and I wanted to get your input on it. So what's your key tips for building relationships with coaches, but then also players? Oh, it's, a, it's a good question. Um and kind of, I kind of put questions out to some of my contacts about what maybe would be good things to talk about. And this was one that came through in every single one as well. So it's a popular question. And I think it, it comes down to honesty for me. Players and coaches, if you're honest with them and you tell them the truth, they, no grey areas, I think you kind of get the most out of them. It takes time to build a relationship, as we know. You can't just walk into a room and, and get the trust of every single person. So I think in terms of... Players, I think honesty is the key. It's the key to everything. If you tell them where they stand and where you stand, even though they might not like what they're hearing, I think it's probably the most important factor in a relationship. If you if you kind of play a grey area with a player, I think they'll do the same to you and you, and you don't really have the relationship you need to kind of make progress. That's how I'd see, see that one. I think there's other things I've written down here. I think one thing I do with players is I try and relate everything I do with them to their game whether it be strength work in the gym pre-activation before training discussing nutrition we do kind of individual development plans at, at, at the football club as I'm sure every club does and I try to try and relate everything I think is important to them to the game why they should go to bed at a certain time why they should eat certain foods and how that's going to improve them as a footballer, not just tomorrow or next week, but moving forward throughout their career. And that's something I try and do all the time is just relate it to the thing, the bit that they love. The players love the sport. They love football. If it's football you're working in, so everything, get, relate, get it related to football, how you can make it better in a game. And I think you get by in that way. Um, another thing I've been told I'm really, really kind of, not good at but passionate about or something that I do a lot is I kind of corridor coach so I speak to players in the corridor I go sit with them at lunch and I talk about normal things and that kind of builds a relationship over time with them and it shows them that I actually care about them away from the football club as well as in the football club and that kind of helps me understand that player a bit more and how how I react to that player in certain situations if a player's been poor it might just be in the gym and they've not been focused. Why have they not been focused? Is it something related to something going on at home? So, yeah, I think one way of building a relationship with players is is coaching away from the realms of the pitch in the gym and actually doing it in the corridor and in the dining room. I think that's really important. That takes personality. And that takes time and that takes patience. Um, and actually sometimes making yourself... Look different if I'm if all the staff are sat on another table and I'm sat on a different one with all the players. Sometimes that's important to do. Sometimes, obviously, I won't do that. So it's just it's just gauging it really and using your skills as a as a human more than anything. Um, moving on to coaches, which is probably the hardest part of 
of any anyone's job in football. I think particularly as a physical performance coach. Again, honesty is key. Um, I try to outwork them, so I try to be there before they before they get in and after they leave, which in previous experiences hasn't been difficult. Um, but try and outwork them. Try and make sure you're always on the toes and you keep them on the toes. So you're asking them questions proactively about days, weeks in advance. So they think, Jesus Christ, what's this kid on? Uh, that's something I try and consciously do. Um, I also try and understand their like past uh, and their current point of view on football, on where they've come from in their career, what kind of career did they have. Currently working with the coach, uh, Dean Whitehead, who kind of basically was a game monster. All he did as a footballer was basically train and play every day. He didn't have many injuries, so he actually expects that from all his players. So without that perspective, I can't really educate him you know, on what I think might be the right thing to do for all the players in, in terms of a training week. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, whereas previously, I've worked with Mark Hudson, who had a lot of injuries. So he was, he was much, much different in terms of the way he wanted his week to look. He was about maximising the time on the grass. So it'd been really punchy, getting in, getting off the grass, really fun for the players um, and kind of rest days weren't a big thing to him. He's like, if they need a rest, they have a rest day because that's what he needed as a player. Whereas Dino could have just got out every single day and trained full whack. So that that perspective, that different perspective means my kind of way in which I would bring a discussion to them is totally different. I think that's really important. You need to know where they've come from. Have they had injuries? What level did they play? What type of player were they? And all that kind of feeds into the information you give the player. I think the last one and the, the, the best way to build a relationship is to actually ask them for help so you might know the answer but if you ask them to help you come up with a solution to a problem whatever that problem might be designing a week um getting a player on side i think straight away they're gonna um respect you more and actually want to help you more and i think that gives you a chance to build a relationship with that coach just a simple problem that needs solving do it together do it together and then you can go and build from that and do it again and do it again and do it again and before you know it you've got their trust so when they ask you an opinion you can give it being dead honest going you know what I completely disagree with what you just said and they'll go go on then why and then if you can tell them why then they might find a compromise if they don't find a compromise that's fine but if they do find a compromise I think you've you're on the ways to having a really good strong kind of program for your players um, so that's that's kind of how I approach things. Whether I've done that naturally or whether I kind of consciously think about it now is it's evolving all the time. As you know, I think things change and relationships change. But yeah, I've seen off plenty of 23s coaches and 19s coaches now. I think I'm on to about my 11th. So I've had to do it quite a lot. So that's that's probably the way when writing it down, that's that's the kind of things I thought, yeah, these these are important to me. So that's kind of my answer to that question. Yeah, we just on that as well, because I think that's a fascinating approach because a lot of people talk about handling different players and obviously every player is that little bit different and you've spoken yeah. just about learning about the player and talking about normal things, maybe family or whatever it is. But people developing relationships with a coach, I think that's a really fascinating area, isn't it? Because I've not heard many people speak about um, well developing relationships with coaches but in that sort of way finding out about them and their history and what they've been through like you say coaches that have been through injuries and not it's hard it's hard. It's really hard I think for anyone you need to find out what the motivation is if it's money if if, some, if a player or a coach is motivated by money that's absolutely fine 
Yeah. But then make everything about that. If a player's motivated by family and, and doing it for, for a person that sacrificed everything for them, make it about that person because it can it, you're almost tugging on heartstrings. Find out what motivates someone and then really work with that to kind of mould your relationship. It's not it's not a cynical way of doing it. It's actually getting in touch with reality of that particular player or that particular coach at a particular time and going, I know why they're going to react in that way because it's related to that motivation. Yeah, and I think that's fair. if they're a family man, then and you go to them. I think we should have a day off today. They're gonna say yeah, because they want to spend time with a family. It's not. It's, there's nothing wrong with that. So it's actually going. Actually, we probably need to do a double at some point. Give ourselves an extra day so that coach can have a day with his kids. It sounds cliche, but it's, it's finding the why, isn't it? And uh, it is. I'm sure people have heard of that book before, and people might have read it. Some people might not have. But if you find that, it can be very powerful, can't it? Really powerful, and and anyone who doesn't think that that's um, one of the most important factors, in my opinion, they're wrong. Because if someone said to me, "What motivates you, Paul?" and I kind of I'd chat for about an hour and a half about it, little things that people won't understand, and then you can kind of piece together my approach just from that. I think it's really important. I think, yeah, working out why they want to do something and why that approach is important to them. So, why Pep Guardiola plays in a certain style in which he plays has probably come from back at his time when he was at Barcelona's academy working with Johan Cruyff. We all know that, but that that is kind of, he's built on that day on day, year on year. So his why now is really important to him, so he'll never move from that. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. So with your current role, Paul, you've, yep. we chatted before about um, how the structure impacts the <laughs> development of the players. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so when was it? It was probably October. Last year I started in the June, in the June um, 2017 and I think it was September, October. The kind of club made a decision to change the whole academy structure. So um, effectively got rid of all the foundation and youth age groups and we just had two older age groups, which was an 18s and a 23s at the time. In the last year, we've kind of reshaped that as staff. We've kind of had an approach where I've gone, let's change it to more different age groups. So we go 17s, 19s. Um, and that whole structure now is totally different. So our under 17s play in an under 18s league, in the Youth Alliance League, which, by the way, is a much better standard than people give it credit for. People think, oh, Cat 3 football is rubbish. It's really, really good. The players in that level are closer to the first team than any players in Cat 1 and Cat 2 because they don't have 23s. So there's players who train with first-team players every single day playing on a Saturday in a Youth Alliance League, which makes it a really, really um, difficult and kind of challenging breeding ground for our young players, our under-17s, who are first-year scholars. They don't have a clue what professional football is about and they're going out every Saturday and they're getting lumps kicked out of them. So it's a really, it's a really good breeding ground to kind of filter out the good and the bad. And then our 19s player bespoke games programme so we play against who we want, when we want, when we feel it's appropriate, if we feel it's appropriate, if we feel it's not challenging enough, we go, right, we're going to play a men's team. It would, do we play under lights? Do we play on a good pitch? Do we play on a bad pitch? Do we kick off at nine o'clock in the morning to see how they deal with travel and have they actually gone to bed early? Um, do we go abroad and play teams who play a different style of play? Do we play on Astro? Do we play on grass? All these, all these questions that you generally get thrown upon you within a Cat 2 programme or a Cat 1 programme. You basically the rules are given to you. We create our own. 
So we go, yeah, we're going to go play Harrogate Town's first team away from home on a Tuesday morning on the Astro and we're going to go there and try and dominate the ball, even though they're men and even though they're playing in the National League and we've got a load of 18-year-olds, that's what we're going to go and try and do. And then we can shape our weeks or week leading up to that based on that decision. So that's kind of how our games programme works at the minute and it's 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 really good. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. I mean, we've played... Oh, I went through the fixture list earlier with the Ben, didn't I? And it's, it's random, if I'm being honest. We play a whole host of teams from Cat 3s at the same age to Cat 1s at the same age to men's teams who are older to B teams to European teams at the same age, European B teams away from home. Maybe not so much at home at the minute because they're changing the training ground, but eventually at home as well. And every week our lads have a different game. It's a different game. So yesterday we played Brentford B. Um, last week we played Scunthorpe's kind of first team in a, in a training in what was a training match for them, but it turned out to be a full full blown match. Um, then next week we're playing Middlesbrough's under 19. So it's kind of every every week's different for them. It's not the same old same old. It's different every single time, and that's kind of the way the games programs were working. There's obviously all the work that goes on in the background. Training's been changed and the way in which we train now is totally different. But all the focus of the club is basically on those two age groups. So the resource that was spread across all the age groups from nines through to 23s has kind of been microwaved into the two age groups. And it's a really strong filtered system that basically if you pop through at the end of it at 19-20, you've got a really good chance, as any other club has. But yeah, we, we've we decided to do it differently and I think the board have backed us so if you've got a strong connection with the board and the board believe in what you're doing you've always got a chance of getting players in the first team so that's kind of where where it's at at Huddersfield at the minute so it's really exciting from from my perspective because I've got a blank canvas in terms of physical performance I can go to coaches and, and go I think this is the right thing for them this week we're playing a team that we should dominate the ball against and it should be an easier game for us so let's go a little bit harder in the training and let's really really push them and try and get some adaptations that can happen at any point so that's kind of that's the new structure in a nutshell probably doesn't make any sense to anyone but it, it's no. certainly, the, certainly the way it looks it does and it's um, I was actually having a conversation with a couple of, couple of parents the other week and I won't name the club but they're at one of the top, top academies in the country and they were not complaining, but they were uh, raising issues about their their son that they weren't um, they were dominating too many games and they weren't being pressured and the team were, were winning, but they were winning by large amounts every single game. And and with the setup you've got there, the exposure that the players get there is is massive, isn't it? Because they're not only getting exposed to teams their own age and they'll all be different styles of play and different ways yeah. of playing, but they're also playing older. Older players as well, which brings different challenges, doesn't it? Well, yeah, every every basically the kind of agreement we've gone is that our players need to play around about two thousand minutes in a season against men at the 19s level. So that's a lot of minutes. That's tw- that's 22, 23 games against men's teams, and that then when they those lads go up to the first team and train with the first team, the physical aspect of training with men. Is, isn't there they know what to expect it's almost just ticking another box the only thing they have to deal with is the change in intensity and basically the pressure of I'm training with the first team they're the only two things they know the sessions because we do the same sessions they know 
physical contact and how to deal with contact yeah they might not be able to deal with it perfectly because they're not an adult yet but they certainly are finding solutions to dealing with men and that's why we do it and look it's not perfect I'm not sat here going oh our games program is the best in the land no one can beat ours because the Cat 1 games program is outstanding the Cat 2 games program is really really good if if the philosophy of the club is right and built towards a certain goal whereas I think ours just offers a completely unique challenge for the players every single week. Every week is different. And we expect, when we play teams our own age, we expect our boys now to really dominate the teams physically. We expect that because actually every, every, two, every two in three weeks, they're playing up against people. We lose most games against men. Of course we do, because we're playing against men. They've got craft. They've got experience. And it's that so... You know the amount, the just the improvement in managing the game has come on loads. Our lads know when to foul, when to slow the game down, when to, how to time waste because because these are this is what experienced pros do, and our lads are learning from teams doing that to them. And then we go abroad, and we go to Spain where if you literally touch a player, it's a free kick. And this happened the other week, so our lads were, did it brilliantly. They waited for contact down, they went won a free kick, play off you go again, and we dominated. Because actually they played a Spanish team at their own game, but they had a bit of a physical advantage over them as well. So eventually the ground severed down and won the game. Um, so it's a re- it's a re- it's a just a different way of doing it. It's not the right way for every single club, but it's the right way for Huddersfield Town. And there's all the issues that come with it. Recruitment is is really difficult. You only get players into a system at the age of 16 and they've never been in a system before. So you teach them just general behaviours of how to be a professional footballer. That that takes time. So there's all those things as well. There's, there's plenty of negatives, don't get me wrong. But yeah, the games programme and the way in which we try to develop the young players is a real positive. And it's something that we're really proud of because we had a blank canvas. We were basically asked by the board, go on then. Do, do what you want and this is kind of the way we've gone about it and the way we believe is right by getting young players in and sticking them up against men or people who are older than them which the 17s do every single week all the time challenge it basically trait it's a, it's a, a games program which promotes failure whether that be by results or whether that be by finding solutions to physical problems that they just can't deal with at that time so that's that's the current program if anyone's got any questions on it, probably should message me after because, yeah, I could talk about this all day. Yeah, no, it's a, I think it's a great subject because, again, going into the conversation, I had a few days ago, they were talking about, you just said about failure then. <clears throat> Some of these players in certain teams are going through games and, and coming out of it and saying, well, I didn't give the ball away. I didn't make any mistakes. That's not real. Yeah, well, that's, that's it, isn't it. But then when they step up and then they go into a game when they do make a mistake, how are they going to deal with it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly, and that's it. You know, like our centre forwards, for example, against the men's team, might get literally one half chance in a game. That's that's real. If you're playing at the top level, you might get half a chance in a game, and we are expecting those players to now score. And if they don't score, they then work on that particular type of finish and dealing with the pressure of receiving. And then the more you expose them to that the better they become at it and the more opportunities they're going to get to score those. And then we start creating two chances a game. Then it's three. Yeah. Then it's four. Then before you know it, we're now... And then before you know it, we've got 11 lads out on loan at the minute across various levels, level three to level eight. But we've got 11 lads out on loan who are dealing with men's football and going, yeah, we'll pick him every week. Yeah. 
Uh, and that's all we want. And then all of a sudden, now all the best 17s are playing in the 19s games programme. We've got a 16-year-old centre-forward. He's playing every week against men. He's 16, but he's playing and he deserves to play. But the, we cleared a pathway for him. The people in front of him are moving on. We're, going, we're putting them out on loan and bringing them back next year. And then we go again. And it's it's definitely a really unique unique way of doing it. And um, it's something that other clubs will look to do because it, the, the current system might not be right for them. And that's all it is. It's not saying the EPP is wrong because it's, it's not. Look at the standard of the young players coming through. I was fortunate enough to work with the England age group, the under-16s, that had um, some really top players in there who are now playing in, you know, across the leagues. So the, the academy system is working, but it's working for certain clubs and not for others. And I think those clubs that aren't getting it right have got to be brave and go, yeah, no, we're going to do something different. And then I think you get a really good mix of different ways of developing young players because there is no concrete way, there is no right way. It's what's right for that individual club. And to move it on to your role a little bit more, Paul, so obviously being a physical performance coach, you'll have to deal with um, training out on the pitch but also in the gym. So how do you go about getting the balance right and controlling the volume, the intensity and all the factors that come into the work that you do? Great question. Uh, really difficult. That, that's probably the biggest challenge. We're stretched staff-wise anyway, so it's a really tough ask. But the way I've kind of gone about it is we've obviously got a, a blank canvas. So the coaching programme now in which we look at it, we, we want to adopt a really unique way of doing it and we want to stretch our players. So they need to be stretched in the week and stretched in the game. And basically, the players who are able to deal with this kind of gold standard programme are the players who've got the best chance. They're the most robust, they're the strongest, the fastest, the fittest. So it's really... Uh, looking and going okay then let's push the boundaries of physical performance can these lads lift twice in a week and that's with the legs and play a game 90 minutes against men yeah let's do it then can they also split an upper body and do a push and a pull and actually be in the gym four times a week yeah they can so we'll, we'll put that into there do we need to train extensively so they're doing sprints and maximal, maximal kind of velocity running yeah right where does that go the intensive work where it's change of direction and all that kind of stuff, bang, we'll plug that in there. They also need to do the technical and unit kind of practice and learn the key fundamentals of the game. And it's all those kind of different jigsaw parts and puzzling them together and going, we believe that that would fit at that time, this would fit at this time, and then making it and then basically going to the coaches and working really hard with the coaches to to educate them on why certain sessions need to be in a certain style so if it's an extensive session it needs to be as big as possible to elicit high speed running and to elicit actual pictures that the players will get within a game and then if it's an intensive day it's about working with them to design the best practice to make sure it's tight there's loads of change of directions and why these are important in the fixture and basically so you've got a big jigsaw the game is the full jigsaw complete and through the week you're just putting together the different parts and training different systems, different styles, different kind of things. And that's kind of the way we've gone. And that's how we're managing it now. So we've got an agreement within the whole staff that these are the things we think, think are important. So the recovery is one um, for going to the gym, pushing, pulling, um, lifting and power. I think they're the four most important things in the gym. We feel that on the pitch, it's uh, extensive work, intensive work, unit practice and fundamentals, which would be kind of attacking, defending, 
crossing, passing, all these kind of technical things, we believe they're important. And it's then just piecing them together and going, these are the best time to do these within the week. And then the only questions asked from the coaches are, what are my numbers? What size area do you think is the best? And what time should I be on the pitch for? And then that's down to the skill and the relationship, as we spoke earlier, of the of the physical performance coach and the technical coach to say, I think that they should do these practices. It would be best. Modify them the way you want, but we need to be on the grass for 60 minutes working at these kind of sets and reps and this intensity in that area. Done. Done. That's it. That's the kind of way the coaching programme's going, if that makes sense. It's really, really basic, but at the same time, it's all the work is being done underneath. So actually, the, the coach asks simple questions, area size, numbers, how long am I training for? That is it. You really simplify it there, but that I think that's come from, that comes from experience, doesn't it? So I think what, so, yeah. What are the biggest things that you feel like you've progressed or how you've progressed as a practitioner over the years? Wow. Um it's a good question um, I'm less gung-ho with the coaches I'm way more tactful in how I try and present information to them what am I going to say to this coach how am I going to time it do I deliver it via a WhatsApp message do I go and see them do I give them a phone call little things like that are really small details are really important some things might be best put on a WhatsApp and they can read it they can digest it and then they can ring you or they can read it digest it reply or they can read it digest it and come in the next day and go oi what you said last night I've thought about it and we're going to do this there, there are ways in in which I've kind of progressed um, I'd say that I'm just just looking at my notes again load and what young players can deal with is actually initially I thought that everything should be with the ball everything 100% should be all football related football 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 and we need to train like a first team it needs to be 45 minute sessions short and sharp players are fresh and this obsession with freshness I think I'm moving away from that and going now go on then let's let's hit them with load we can lift twice a week if they miss a game let's make it three times a week and working on a high low strategy all the time so we're high we're low we're high we're low we rest and and I've definitely progressed that mindset and actually I've had good results with the young lads that they're, they're changing, they're changing. Any lad, will ch- any young player will change within a physical performance programme, whether it's good, bad, different, complex, simple, the, 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 young, the young football players, so they will adapt. But yeah, I believe that young players can be really stretched. You can really put load through them as long as you periodise it properly. So that comes down to your planning and the communication to a coach. If we're really pushing a player in the gym on that particular day, and then we're going out on the pitch, and then they're doing a two-hour session, you're actually impacting the rest of the week. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's, it's discussing it with a coach and going, no, we want to. We, we feel we need the need to be stronger and more powerful. So this is what's going to happen when we do that, and these are the this is how it will influence the training sessions. I think that's one thing I've definitely progressed. Um over the years is understanding what young players can deal with if they're sore it's not the end of the world we want them to be sore they should be sore because we should be pushing them so actually if you've had a hard day and the next day they come in and they're not sore how hard was it that's the question I asked well, if, it's, if it's not hard enough then we need to go harder and actually just keep stretching those boundaries of what hard might actually look like um, and you'd be surprised. I think any young practitioner out there would be surprised 
as long as they've got it periodised right and there's ample time for recovery and adaptation, I think you can really, really push players on, on hard days, including game days. Including game days, you can really stretch them. So ways of stretching players on game days might be through, yeah, like we're going to travel on the day. We're going to travel four hours on a coach. We're going to feed you on the coach. You're going to get off the coach. You're going to get out and warm up and we expect you to go out and play and perform. No excuses. And that's a way of stretching a player. And there's loads of different ways of doing it. So that's definitely one thing I think I've progressed over a period of time and just being creative with it. Um, and then the last one I've got here written down is, is rehab and the way in which you kind of rehab players. Players are always going to get injured. I, I kind of used to believe that if an injury occurred, whether it was contact, non-contact, I was to blame because you can prevent all injuries is what I used to believe. You can't. It's, it's, it's a full-blooded contact sport where players are running the context of the game changes all the time lads are going to pull hamstrings it's not necessarily the fault of the physical performance coach or the coach there's the player involved as well there's lads who will not sacrifice what they need to sacrifice on a night the day before with the food and the sleep and the rest and, the, and everything that they're going to put themselves in a position where they pull the hamstring or they pull a thigh or they pull a groin that's fine. That player's not actually got the mindset capable of dealing with the programme you're putting out. And as ruthless as that sounds, as I've gone over the years, I'm kind of like, well, go on then. Let's, let's see who can deal with it. And I'll just be a big filter for the, for the first team and go, yeah, these lads aren't robust enough. These lads are. And, that's, and the way in which you re rehabilitate is you should be bringing them back better than what they were when they got injured. It shouldn't just be a return to play protocol. It should be literally they're 10-15% better by the time they get back on the grass and they're training. Otherwise, they're just going to get the same injury again. And that's something that the, the rehab that's done at the club has really progressed in that kind of sense, that we're really pushing players to the point of you know, nearly re-injuring. And I think that's really important. That's the only way you get real long-term change. It's probably controversial. Sorry, mate. It's an opportunity, isn't it? When a player thinks that's the opportunity to work with them of course and progress it is. them. You've got to progress them. If if a lad is pulling if a lad has pulled a hamstring and he's pulled a hamstring and and he comes in and yeah, he's a bit gutted because he's out for six weeks. Well, what's what's wrong with going? It's a young player, by the way, it's not a first team player. What's what's wrong with going, well, that's an eight week injury and we're gonna really we're gonna really hammer you for eight weeks. And bringing that kid back so they're in a position where they won't re-injure, where they're stronger, they're fitter, they're leaner, they're more educated and they're actually just a better footballer all round. That surely should, be the, surely should be the goal of any young physio who's working with young players in an academy. And it will be, by the way. I'm not saying that, oh, the stuff they do at Huddersfield Town's better than everyone else. Most physios will look to that approach. But the question marks I've got are what methods are you using to stretch the players and sh and should we be looking at the way in which we stretch players during rehab? I, I think we should. I think it's a, a really new kind of avenue. Um, and some are taking on it really well, that kind of goal. And some I still think are going down the cautious conservative route. And I just don't think you need to be conservative. I don't think you need to be. I think you can be really, really out there and really go, come on then. We're going to go really, really hard. Yeah, there might be a couple of setbacks along the way with a bit of doms. So we can't do it. That's fine. Because in the long-term picture of this six, seven, eight-week rehab, this player's going to come back in a much better place. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, also, if you don't go intense enough, they're, they're having to go back onto the pitch and perform, aren't they? So they're not, yeah, they're not ready. Exactly, yeah. They're not ready. They're not ready. They should be beyond ready. 
they should be better. They should what we gave them previously should now be easy for them. Obviously, you've got the the decision making element and the game time and getting all that and building that back up. That it's not a gung ho approach. It's just a no, no. We're in the gym, so you might be stretching a particular player on the pitch and the on field rehab and going. Actually, we're going to really stretch them in there running because we feel that that's the part, that's the bit that really costs them the fatigue and the injury. Or we might go, no, we're going to stretch them in the gym because we don't think they're strong enough across certain planes of movements in certain directions, whatever it might be. And we're going to nail that and we're going to hammer it really hard so it doesn't happen again. That's got to be the aim. It's got to be the aim. So obviously you do a needs analysis whenever an injury occurs. And for me, play, players should be, rehab should be really hard, should be really hard. And that doesn't mean doing 10-hour days. That means when they come in and they train for three hours or they work for three hours or whatever it is, the session, the double session lasts or whatever it is, it's really hard. It's really, really hard, and they get enough rest and time to adapt. And you mentioned before about one of your biggest mistakes being going going into gung ho, but I also want to see what else um, the mistakes you made, but also what you've learned from them. But <clears throat> mainly tying it in with, well, firstly tying it in with how you um, approach coaches, because I think the way you spoke before about how you've developed relationship with, with coaches. I think it would also be really good for you to speak about what you've done before and the, sp- the mistakes you've made about developing relationships with coaches. And then yeah. also touch on players as well. Yeah, I think, well, going back, so any young kind of practitioner who's out there and has not had an internship yet or is in an internship or work experience placement or whatever we call them these days, at the, my first session at Yorkshire Cricket Club, the the first team players, which included... You know, internationals, Joe Root, uh, Ryan Sidebottom, people who played for England or were about to play for England. It had a lot of international. It was the first team session and they were in the bleep test. And the bleep test is halfway through and I kicked the cable on the speaker and not the plug out. <laughs> and they had to do it again. <laughs> really? and, uh, yeah, they had to do it again. So basically the, the, the head of strength and conditioning, Tom Summers, who was brilliant with me, he kind of was like, well, we'll do that again and get back on the line we're starting again now the players were fuming with me and at that point I thought the best thing to do was to go and do that bleep test with them I was yeah. like listen I've, I've, I've fucked up I'm going to do it with you because and, and the players straight away the players loved that they were like alright he's, he's cocked up what an arsehole we're going to give him loads of ammo but at least he's going to now put himself through it with us and I went and did it with them and that was an approach at the time that I thought I've made a massive error here I'm just going to try and get in amongst the players to show that obviously I didn't mean to do it. And it's a, it's a small approach, but that worked at that particular time. Yeah. And I think little thing that these mistakes get made. If anyone thinks that someone's gone through the career and not made huge mistakes like that, if people think that people have, you know, who are at the top of the game have not injured players from pushing them too hard, have not, um, fallen out with coaches have not prescribed the wrong practices have not done drills that have gone on too long have not put weights on people's back with really poor technique and pushed them through with dysfunction everybody's done that they're lying if they haven't in my opinion everybody has done that and it's learning from those mistakes but I think the biggest mistakes I've made not not in isolated incidents and not having a plan b c or d so I think everyone's got a plan a but are you actually assessing all eventualities and going, I've got a plan B, so if that happens, I've got a plan B. If that happens, I've got a plan C. And if all those three things don't happen, I've got a plan D. And I think in under-23 and under-19 football, or the, the kind of age group closest to the first team, I think you need all those plans. 
because there's so many holes open. You've got lads who are not quite good enough. How are you planning for them? You've got lads who are flying, so how are you planning for them to keep them stretched? You've got the middle group, the group that are in between, that actually need a bit more time. You've got the lads who are on loan. You've got the lads who are popping up to the first team and not actually playing any minutes because all they're doing is training with the first team. You've got holes all over the bucket and you've got water flooding out, so you need to plan for all these eventualities and go, actually, no, if the first team need five players today, which are going to be the five players? How am I then going to get back their load or stretch them or do something that needs to be done because it's a light day for the first team? And planning and planning for everything that might happen within a week, that only comes with experience, by the way. And knowing, shit, it's New Year's Day. The manager wants 20 players. The players are off on New Year's Day. How are we gonna, who are going to be the people we call on New Year's Eve to say they're training tomorrow morning? Who are the ones you can trust who are going to go, yeah, no, I'll be there? You have to have a plan B, C, D, E, F, G. I think you've got to have them all. You've got to think of every eventuality. Um, and they're the biggest mistakes I've made where I've just had a plan A. And then something's been thrown on me. And I've not had an answer. And then whether it be the academy manager, the coach, the first team manager, the first team sports scientist, the first team head of performance, whatever person it is of going, we need to sort that quickly. And then you're making a decision not based on on a process, you're just making a decision based on instinct and gut, and sometimes that's completely wrong. And then things happen, players get injured, um, players don't get enough load, players miss out on game time, players get pissed off and actually think that you don't know what you're doing. Um, all these things. So I think that's probably the biggest or the, the, a series of mistakes that I've made is not having a plan for all eventualities. And I think the only way young practitioners, even older practitioners, can learn on that is to, is to reflect on minor mistakes they've made every day every day people make mistakes they might speak to someone in the in, might speak to someone in the wrong tone or deliver a message in the wrong way i think you've got to reflect on those and go right okay next time i'd do it this way and next time i'd make sure that i've got that 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 and that in the background just in case this this and this happens so i'd say that's kind of the way in which i'd had answer that question well, that's exactly the same as what we spoke about with the players before, about the exposure, isn't it? That those mm-hmm. players are getting exposure so they're able to develop um, skills for the future. And that's exactly the same as what you're saying now, isn't it? You have to go through these experiences have to develop an outcome. Yeah, you have to. You have to. And making a mistake is a good thing. At the time, it might be really uncomfortable and you might get a bollocking and you might feel like shit and you might feel like you're not very good at your job or whatever it is you feel. But actually, if you reflect on it and learn from it, it's made you better. So it's a really positive thing. And if you're not putting yourself in a position to make mistakes, then you're just going to be comfortable and you're not really going to improve. And that's kind of, yeah, as I've got older, more confident and actually more kind of settled in my approach, sometimes sometimes I can fall into a trap of going, I've got this boxed off and I have to give myself a kick up the arse and go, no, you need to push yourself a little bit more, put yourself in a position to do something different, actually make a mistake. And that's kind of, Lee Bromby, our academy manager, has been really good with me for that. He's kind of changed my mindset to volume in terms of players can do more, they can do more, they can do doubles, they can do triples, that they can it's just we need to plan and make sure that they effectively get out the most out of the time. If they go out and do two, an hour and a half, three times a day, that's ridiculous. They're not going to learn anything. The players are going to be bored. But can they go out and do a 20-minute session, a 40-minute session and a gym session? Yeah. And get loads of quality out of it. And it's quality over quantity. So uh, 
that those mistakes of, of my kind of philosophy have, have been changed and adapted through the people I've worked with and been willing to go, go on then, we'll try it and we'll have a look and finding a compromise. I think there's always a compromise for everything that you have to, I think that's our job. Physical performance coach is basically the compromiser. It's finding the middle ground for the player and the coach. I think that's, that's probably the way in which I'd describe our job best. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's probably how I would answer that question. It took me a while to, to kind of think about it, but I think when you kind of articulate or try to articulate those kind of things, I think it's really helpful as well for people. Yeah, I think it is, definitely. And I'm going to throw a bit of a random one at you now. So yeah. one thing I wanted to ask you is, you spoke there about your experience in football and then obviously your experiences in sport because you worked in rugby and cricket as well. But what about away from sport? So what would you give... Um, or what tips would you say to young coaches? Uh, what would help them develop or be able to de- develop relationships away from sport? Is there anything that you'd recommend for them to go and do or anything that you've done previously that you've felt has benefited, benefited you in your role? Good question. Um, well, they need to coach. If you're not, so if you're in a, on a BSc now and you're in a first year, second year, third year and you've not coached yet, then you're never going to get a job as a coach physical performance coach you're just not being able to communicate to players of, of, of no matter what the level what their age sex ability disability it doesn't it doesn't matter you need to be able to coach and work out what the kind of craft of coaching and communicating to people so that's the first bit of advice I'd always give everyone even experienced coaches I think you can fall into the trap of <clears throat> sitting behind a desk and doing all the planning and not actually getting out and getting dirty and getting in the field and, and coaching people. I think that's the most important bit of advice I would give people is, yeah, you need to be, you need to be speaking to groups, speaking to individuals, articulating complex or simple information to people who may not understand. That's, that's probably the first thing I'd say. And, that, and then what advice would I give young practitioners to help them? We obviously got a network um, networking's time consuming and it's tiring you've done a day of work or you've done whatever then you're going to go to an event I really struggle with it it's something I really struggle with because my priority is always my work but actually getting out and going to a networking event just sitting and listening or even getting in the mix of it and being that kind of answering all the questions is a really good way to learn and to build build a better network shock um, and learn from other people who've had different experiences. So I think they're probably the main two things I'd say for a young practitioner. You're in university, you want to work in professional sport. Are you coaching? Yes or no. Are you networking? Yes or no. If the answer's no to one of them, do the other. If the answer's yes to both, then you're on the right lines. If the answer's no to both, then you need to take a, a long, hard look and go, well, yeah, I'm never going to get a job if I've never coached and I don't know anyone because there's no one who can offer me a reference. It's not that if I met someone and I thought they were really good, I would give them a job. But if I knew someone who knew of a young practitioner, I would call that person and go, go on then, what's that person like? Is he or she good at this, bad at this? Because everyone's looking for a different character within their department. If, if we were recruiting now, I'd be looking for someone totally different to myself. So what does that person look like? And how, how does that come across within a coaching perspective? So... Um, yeah, that's they're they're the they're the biggest pieces of advice I'd give. I'm not sure if you would agree or disagree, Ben. I'm not, you've obviously had a different kind of pathway to me, so. No, I think I think they're really important. And looking at your background, you've obviously 
you have put yourself out there. You've obviously been to some of our networking meetings. So you've done the networking. You've done the, the internship, the work placements. Is there anything that you'd have, looking back on like your career, is there anything that you'd have done different or done more of, done less of? Yeah, I had a coach at university. Yeah. I didn't, so I, I was fortunate enough. I always, I always played sports, so I was always always involved in in sport, whether it be at an amateur level or whatever. But I would have... And I coached cricket on a for the cricket club I played for, so I always did a little bit of coaching, but never actually getting out there and going. You know what? There's a there's a university gym, and I know that the rugby team come in on a Tuesday and a Thursday. I'm just gonna go work with the strength and conditioning coach and just watch. I'd, I'd have done that, and then I'd have built on that. I'd have gone. Is there any placements going out where I can spend a week in the holidays and just go watch? I just didn't do it. I just thought, oh, I'll, come, I'll go through uni. I box off my BSc. I'll box off my masters and then I'll get a job. That's what I believed. Well, absolutely no chance. There is no chance of that happening, particularly now. What ten years on? There's just no chance of that happening. You need a depth of experience. You need to have been put in different positions across different sports because there's always something you can learn. And coaching isn't necessarily within sport as well. I, th- I think if if you can communicate a skill to anyone, whether it be music. Um, whether it be teaching, actual academic, anything like that, I think it's important. I think it's a skill that everybody needs. So that's that's kind of what I would have done differently. I'd have not rested on my laurels and gone, oh, I'm, I'm smart enough, I'll be fine. I'll get a job. Of course I will. But the reality was it took me from 2009 to 2011 and a lot of soul searching to get an internship, and that was free. That, was, that wasn't even paid. I worked at a call centre whilst working at Yorkshire, and I, I did you know more hours than I can ever imagine to do but that's probably what it took to get that but I set myself back five years at university by basically being lazy going out on a night out and hanging around with mates and thinking yeah I'll be fine so yeah that's that's the biggest thing I would have changed I think with that like you saying about working in the call centre I'm guessing that was to obviously um, give you the money so you're able to do the internships but those those skills developing in jobs like that whether it's a call centre working in a cafe like doing whatever actually being able to communicate I know John Noonan spoke about this on the podcast and he talks about it a lot is people losing the the sort of ability to communicate with people so if you're in a job whether it be a part-time role and you have to then fund an internship like make it something that you're going to get some skills from it might not be that you're coaching football or you're you're making someone stronger can you speak to people like can you develop that because a lot of the students coming out of uni probably won't have that and, and especially in a few years time I, like this is just my personal opinion but I don't I think it's gonna those skills are gonna start drifting away more and more so if you do have that that's something that's gonna stand out yeah I think I think a big thing I I see in young students and young practitioners now is there's a sense of entitlement and no one's entitled to anything yeah. you have to work and you have to take opportunities and you have to create your own opportunities in this game in this field and yeah, that might mean that you're going to work for shit money for a long time. But eventually, if you're really, really good and you follow the you follow, and you stick to your principles and you follow the principles of reflecting, learning, developing, you'll eventually get a job that you love or a job that you get paid well for, whatever your motivation is, a job that gives you the lifestyle you want. You'll get that, but you're not entitled to it because there's about 10,000 other people who think they are as well. You have to be different to all of them. And yeah, 
when I worked at the call centre, I got really frustrated with my managers because they couldn't work an Excel spreadsheet. So I actually had to teach my managers how to work an Excel spreadsheet. So looking back on it, I learned loads of skills. How do you manage up? How do you communicate something really, really basic to someone who doesn't know? I was even doing that then. So there was, I picked up loads of skills working in a call centre, ran, ringing random people that I've never met before. Yeah. I, I never liked making phone calls. After I'd worked in a call centre, I'd have made 500 calls a day. It was nothing to me. Yeah, I'd just ring this person, diffuse conflict, whatever it might be. Um, all these things I kind of learned. But if, if you go into any situation going, I can learn something today, I think you will get something out of it. If you work, I worked in a fish and chip restaurant for years, but I was on the counter dealing with customers and actually learning customer service. At the time, I wasn't thinking, oh, I'll get something out of today. The only thing I was thinking is I get £6 an hour. Yeah. But the reality is all those little mini experiences I've had over the time have probably helped me in my ability to communicate. And yeah, that's not saying that's I'm a good communicator, that's not, but I, I believe in my mind that, well, yeah, if you put me in a random situation, I'll probably be able to chat to someone. Yeah, I think that's huge. And I think a lot, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not putting everyone in the same boat, but I think a lot of, particularly young coaches or students coming through now, don't um, put themselves out in those situations and don't expose themselves to those things. And I think they're really, really important. The fact that you have to have a conversation with a stranger or you have to have a conversation at, like you said, there is a bit of conflict or um, can potentially go into an argument or whatever it is. Then when suddenly when you're in front of the head coach, like you're going to be in a better position to deal with that, aren't you? Of course you are. Of course you are. I think they're just general life skills. I just think if people go in with the mindset of going, whatever it is I'm doing today, I'm going into university and I've got a lecture, but I'm going to try and learn one thing. One thing. So every time you do something, I'm going to try and learn one thing. That might be five learning opportunities within a day. You multiply that by 365. My maths isn't good enough, but that's a lot of learning. And I think it's just a mindset change of going, right, I'm doing this to earn money to help me fund an internship. Right, fine. Or to help me fund a master's. Right, that's fine. But I'm going to try and learn something from this, which helps me with that, because in the long term, I'll get this. And it's working on that kind of principle. And yeah, it's a little bit, it's a little bit weird, but then anyone who knows me would probably tell you I'm a little bit weird. And they're kind of the ways in which I would try and do things all the time. What can I learn? Even doing this podcast, I'll probably reflect back on it and go, I should have communicated that in a better way. I said certain things there when I should have said something different. And I think it's, it's a constant evolving process for all practitioners in and out of the sport. If you want to get in, do more. If you want to stay in, do more. If you want to be the best, do more. Yeah. And I bet that sticks out to someone like you as well when some people are applying for jobs because I bet if you guys put jobs out, you, you get hundreds if not thousands of applicants. So something like that would stand out to you in your role, wouldn't it? Like that they have had that exposure and they will have the ability to communicate as well as the, the qualifications and the ability to, like we said, make people stronger, make people faster and all the rest of it. Two, two things would stand out to me if, if I was a, uh, advertising a job role. Two things. Attention to detail. So can you spell names correctly? Can, as, how's your punctuation, your grammar, the, way, the detail of your CV? Does it look good? Are the fonts the same? Is, is it, have you put some time and effort into your CV and your covering letter? That's number one. Because if you can't have attention to detail on, a, on a basically a, what is a poster of you and your capabilities, then you've got no chance. And the second one is, have you coached? I don't really care if someone would apply and they've gone, oh, I've got a third class um, sports science degree, but I've done all this coaching. 
and I've done all these kind of, I've had all these kind of experiences, I'd give them an interview because then I'd go, how come you got a third? And yeah. if they went, oh, basically, I kind of I parted a bit much and I spent too much time doing all this coaching, I'd be like, you know what? You can mould that person. You can teach them the, the theory. It's not that they're stupid. It's that they've probably not recognised the importance of the degree at a particular time and actually probably probably started to sink and couldn't basically get out of the water. I think they're re- people think that I'd care about whether they got a first or a two. I don't care. I care about what coaching experience you've got and whether you can actually spell things right. Other people will look at it totally differently. This is just this is just me. And then can you relate the, the the job application to the job I want? Because you're looking for certain characters. If you've got a job coming out and it's a senior role, you're looking for experience of management and leadership and all those things. Of course you are. If it's a junior role, you're basically looking for someone who's mouldable and who's got a personality. So if you've not coached and you've and it shows that you've not coached, then I question whether that person's got a personality or not. That's right for the job role. Um, and kind of that's the, way I, that's the way I would look at it. So I think that's really important as well as that people appreciate what the employer is looking for and then go down that route and attack a route that you think is important. And there's absolutely loads of opportunities for people to go and do that as well, isn't there? Like you can volunteer your services out to local clubs. Yeah. I know you said before about coaching your cricket club, coaching in different yeah. sports. There's there's clubs that are absolutely crying out for people to volunteer their services like that. So it's not as yeah. if the opportunity. You just got to go and seek them. Yeah, I just don't, I don't think that getting your first work experience placement, your first work should be at a professional football club. I think it should be at a local football club, a non-league club where they go, you know what, I'm doing a BSc in sports science. I don't really know what I'm doing, but can I come and actually give you some sports science provision? I'll do your warm-ups for you on a Tuesday, Thursday night and a Saturday on a game day. I'll do your warm-ups. How about that? I'll yeah. do it for free and I'll learn how to do a warm-up and I'll watch a million YouTube videos of all the professional people doing the warm-ups and I'll come up with something that I think is right for the players. That's a, that for me is a place to start because then you actually the qu- the questions that you get asked might start and as you start to evolve and you're doing your degree and you're learning more and you're meeting more people and you're learning more things and you're going on networking events and you're going oh I take a warm up for this uh, tier eight club and um, basically I don't really know what times I should do I don't really know how long the warm up should last how do you do it and then some would go mine lasts eight minutes some would say twelve some would say ten some would say twenty three and you go all right actually yeah my 16 minute warm-ups right in the middle maybe I'm on the right lines I don't think going in and working in a professional environment as your first kind of taste of physical performance is the right way to go about it because the people working there have probably got a depth of information and knowledge that you just can't you can't absorb can't absorb and take in and go oh right yeah I see why they've got to that end point because there's do you know what I mean there's eight years of experience per practitioner within professional sport um, and a whole load of politics well that's what I was say as well a lot of politics and a lot of pressure too isn't it whereas if you go into a lower league club the way I look at it is if you get a student going into a lower league club and they can improve that warm up or they can give some players some stuff to do away from the pitch that might help um, prevent a few injuries or might make players feel that little bit better or might make them eat a little bit better recover a little bit better like that that's enough isn't it like you've done you've improved them if if you're a semi-pro club 
and you're a semi-pro footballer and your aspirations are to go up through the leagues and a young student comes in and makes the whole feeling of the place a little bit more professional, what's a negative about that? Yeah. If it feels better, it'll probably be better. And yeah, the content might not be perfect and the coaching style might not be perfect, but the, the whole environment will change because the, the 14 lads that are involved will go, you know what, it's all right this. And then you might perform a little bit better. You might get 1% more out of these players. But that 1% might help the one who's going to go up through the leagues. Uh, I think there's, there's definitely something in that. And I think people need to look more towards non-league football, you know, amateur cricket. It doesn't matter what the sport is. It doesn't matter. Get out there and just coach a group of lads, ladies, who are going to give you a bit of a hammer and you're going to make loads of mistakes, do shit warm-ups, do shit techniques, slip over when you're kicking a ball in front of everyone. Do, do that then, down, down at a lower level. Don't go do it when you're on a work experience placement at a, at a professional football club where you go, this, this kid's nowhere near. Nowhere near. Um, that, that's, that's, probably, yeah, that's probably sound advice, really, from you, Ben, if anything. Well, it's, that's top information, mate, and I, I, I think it's great for coaches to hear it from someone like yourself as well. So um, that's top. Can you, um, you? You've already said before, Paul, about coaches reaching out to you, know, maybe going into the model that you guys have got at Huddersfield, but also they might have other questions on other bits. Have you got somewhere where they can get in touch? Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn. Obviously, just search Paul Bauer, uh, and then Twitter's probably the best at pbauer10. Uh, I'll try and get back to people as quick as I can. I will get back to people. It's just, yeah, obviously you get kind of quite a lot of these things and pretty busy anyway, but generally try and answer all questions. I'm more than, more than willing to allow people to, to come in and, and watch and observe. That's absolutely fine. Um, so, yeah, just, just reach out and I'll see what we can do. Awesome, mate. No, I really appreciate that and appreciate your time today. I know it's your day off and you've had a bit of a mad period so i appreciate you taking Fine. the time out and chatting to us and i hope the guys have taken loads from it cheers mate thank you and we'll uh, we'll catch up soon paul cheers mate see you later thanks mate big thank you to paul bauer for giving up his time on his day off it's a really busy period for them at huddersfield at the moment so i know um day offs are really vital for him to recharge and go again i really appreciate him giving up his day off to speak to me for over an hour and there's some amazing information in that episode Go and follow Paul. He's on Twitter at pbauer10, which is the letter P and then B-O-W-E-R and then number 10. My top takeaways were learning the coach history. I think that was massive. It was a really important point made by Paul and something that I've not heard too many people speak about before. He learned about the coaches and he spoke about a couple of coaches that have had very different careers and the way you can sort of speak to them and talk to them about the, the coaching practice and how their views will be slightly different depending on their careers. I thought that was really, really good information. Also having a plan B, C, D, E and all the, all the extra plans that he mentioned. You need to be adaptable in these roles. You've got to be flexible, ready for change. And a lot of coaches just go in with a plan A. Um, and then also just a sheer fact he said about outworking coaches. I think that's really valuable. I think the, the sheer fact that you need to be ready to work you, and outwork people, turning up earlier, leaving later, willing to put the hours in, willing to put the work in, that goes a long, long way and people notice that. So you have to be ready to do that. And especially if you're a young coach starting out, that's something you need to be willing and ready to do. 
head over to our Twitter because we, we are running a competition at the moment. There's a, there's a chance of you winning three books. We're giving away three books. One is the periodization book from Bomper, which is an old classic. There's also Science and Soccer um, and Triphasic Training as well by Cal Dietz. So three top books that um, we've used loads at Football Fitness Federation. Um, you can win them. You, you'll have a chance of winning them by retweeting the post. So it's pinned at the top of, uh, the top of our Twitter and make sure you quote when you retweet FFF comp because that is the rules of the um, competition. Like Paul said in the in the episode, these little key um, factors are important. So make sure you you follow the rules of the competition to enter, and also follow our page. So we're on Twitter at Football Fit Fed. We're also on Instagram at Football Fit Fed, and you can uh, go go over to our website, which is footballfitfed.com. And if anyone wants to get in touch with recommended guests or feedback on the podcast, our um, email is mail at footballfitfed.com. Guys, next week we have got a massive name in strength and conditioning and performance coaching already recorded and it was a top episode. I really enjoyed it. It was someone that I followed for a very, very long time. Really enjoyed uh, recording the episode with him. So keep an eye out for that. That'll be coming next week. And if you come into our network meeting at at Notts County, that's just a few days away. So we will see you there. And um, we're looking forward to seeing Johnny Wilson present and meeting all the coaches, um, some previous coaches that have been on the podcast before, like Jordan Tyra, will be there. So it'll be good to catch up with all those guys. And um, if you're going to be there, it'll be great to see you. So we will speak to you again next week. Thanks a lot for listening.